1: It's the Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. Brought to you by Internal Consulting Group. I'm Mark S.A. Smith. As a leader of your company, you must stay on top of your industry or risk obsolescence. This can be a daunting task. Get ready to solve your biggest challenges and learn how to capitalize on your biggest opportunities after this. Executives depend on external advisors to fill knowledge and experience gaps, to help them make a case for change, or to have an experienced mind audit their thinking. Internal Consulting Group brings together a wide range of proven thought leaders from around the globe and makes them available to you. Get access to insights, advice, and the tools you need to succeed. Learn more at internalconsulting.com. Roger Burlton is the president of Process Renewal Consulting Group, Inc., and an internal consulting group global thought leader. He is co-founder of BP Trends Associates, a services firm in the world-leading bptrends.com knowledge portal. He started the pioneering process renewal group in 1993 and was at the forefront of process-centric ways of running businesses. A multi-book author, he wrote Business Process Management, Profiting from the Process. The Business Process Manifesto, the handbook on business process management and lots of other publications including articles featured on the bptrends.com website. And most recently, the Business Agility Manifesto which we'll be talking about today. Roger chairs several of the largest and most influential business process management conferences in the world, and helps executives deal with tough issues of business change in a thought-provoking, yet entertaining manner. Welcome, Roger.
2: Happy to be here, Mark. I'm really uh, looking forward to this talk.
1: We are in the midst of the most massive change ever to occur on the planet. Massive business disruption. Netflix is taking out uh, movie theaters all over the place. Retail business is plummeting. Businesses are turning over and being replaced by technology. Digital disruption is everywhere. Executives listening right now are going, what the heck should we do? Roger, give us your wisdom on how to manage this extraordinary, massive disruptive change.
2: One of the first things we have to start to think about is that, do we want to just change and make one change in order to catch up to everybody else? Because as soon as we do that, we're going to be doing another one and another one and another one and another one. And we'll be in constant change mode. So I think we need to start thinking about how do we get ready for change and be able to make change happen regardless of what that change is. And I think this is a, a fundamentally a new way of thinking about how we manage, how we design, how we invest, and how we approach our markets.
1: Part of the challenge I see is facing in the world of business is that it used to be that we owned the means of production, which locked us into a state for five years, seven years, 10 years, and any company that's doing that now is out of business. And so we move from this management world of building for efficiency to building for flexibility. That drives massive changes at the
2: executive level. You're absolutely right. The challenge along the way, though, is that someone does have to own the means of production because we still have to produce, even if that's a service that we're providing. And the challenge is that we used to have all of this inside our walls now our customers don't care where it comes from. They don't care if we own it. They only care if we're actually being successful in meeting their needs and their expectations. And so one of the things we're seeing organizations have to do is they have to partner and they have to collaborate and they have to be part of the creation of value for those customers. The often quoted examples of Uber and Airbnb Yeah, they don't own the means of production. Matter of fact, they don't own physical assets at all, but they have to be successful in coordinating, negotiating, and having everybody in that end-to-end value chain successful. Because if the homeowner in Airbnb has terrible facilities, it comes back on Airbnb, even if they don't own those facilities. So managing across boundaries, managing partnerships, managing the end-to-end value that the end receiver of those services gets is something we have to do and it's a different way of management it's not just managing our org chart
1: i love that idea what you're really talking about is the shift from a business process management being within the four walls of your organization controlling assets you hold title to to now being able to play well with others and plug into other people's business processes manage them to the terms and conditions your customers expect
2: And that becomes extremely complex. Absolutely. But the interesting thing is your customers don't care. Your customers don't care about your org chart. They don't care if you're managing things within departments and divisions. The only care is are they getting the value that they expected, the value that they think they're paying for. And if they're not getting it, they're going to be gone pretty darn quickly to maybe some young upstart that doesn't have your rigor mortis already set in.
1: (laughs) That's a really great way of saying it. we got a lot of dead companies walking. (laughs) What this implies is that the old mantra of a lot of businesses, come do business with us, we're one-stop shop, we're one throat to choke, one back to pat, no longer has value to a customer. What they'd rather have is plays well with others.
2: Yeah, and I think, though, sometimes the plays well with others may not be visible to the customer. It might be another partnership that you have. Apple doesn't manufacture its own phones, but if they don't work, you're going to complain to Apple. Right on. And you really don't need to know all the people in that supply chain, but the supply chain has to work for Apple to be successful.
1: So what that implies is the new intellectual property of today is ability to manage relationships. And you're absolutely right. Apple is an IP company, intellectual property company. They're not a manufacturing company but all of that intellectual property includes how to manage supply chains, reverse supply chains, retail organizations, customer service. So that's a whole new level of production.
2: That's a whole new set of competencies an organization needs to have, is to build partnerships, sustain partnerships, rather than squeeze every single penny out of your manufacturing supplier and make sure you're making all your profits, you got to think about How can I sustain this? How can I keep this going? How can I trust my partners to do what's best for my customers and not just do what's best for themselves? So aligning motivation across the entire value chain is something that organizations have to learn how to do. I think that
1: the word you use is really critical for our listener to zero in on is this concept of sustainability. Mm -hmm. Traditional change management approaches really didn't focus on sustainability. They focused on other metrics such as efficiency on return on investment. And what you're saying here is, folks, that model's gone. We have to now focus on flexibility. We have to focus on the ability to anticipate
2: and change. The key performance indicators of companies are changing now. We traditionally talked about being efficient, getting the most out of your resources, uh, and things like Lean and Six Sigma, traditional approaches, we're all about that. And we've also talked about effectiveness. Are we doing the right thing for the customer? That's becoming much more important. The new measure that really becomes important now is adaptability or business agility, depending upon what words you'd like to use. And we start to measure things such as time to market, time in market, ease of change. If I have a required change because of a regulatory requirement, for example, can I implement that tonight? Or do I have to wait for the next software release, which is going to happen in six months? These are the kind of measures which are more important. These are the capabilities organizations have to have without even knowing what the change is that's coming next year.
1: We have to manage uncertainty a whole lot better. If you don't have a decision tree that allows you to involve uncertainty into your decision process, you're not going to make a decision, in which case you'll be completely left behind. And I know that's what you talk and what you work with executives on how to create that transformation into an organization that can handle change.
2: Absolutely. And I think a lot of that comes back to how do you build out your internal capabilities? I mentioned a moment ago, a new regulation comes along. Can you implement the new rules right away? Well, you can't if you embed all your rules in your software and you don't even know where the rules are because it's going to take you a year to find them as an example You just basically document your rules somewhere, and when you go to run your systems the next time, it looks up the latest rule, then that's success. But you have to architect for that, and you have to sort of design all your systems. You have to design your organization to be very flexible with regard to reporting structures, as opposed to these annual cycles of performance reviews, which by the time you get there, everything has changed, and they were irrelevant in the first place. So, How you design organizations to be flexible, how you design software to be flexible, how you design information management and business processes, it's a multi-dimensional puzzle. But if you don't think about how they're going to fit together in the first place, at least how you might assemble them when you need them, then you're going to be stuck always chasing the market. This
1: sounds like a radical change in management philosophy is required. The common approach to management philosophy is consensus management, which in change is impossible because about the time you achieve consensus, the decision is moved.
2: This is one of the biggest challenges we face in going forward with all of this. There's typically an incumbent structure with motivation models for executives. And each one of those executives is driving towards their outcomes, their performance and their bonuses. But typically, if you look at each one of them, optimize one, you suboptimize the others. And as soon as you suboptimize the others, you're not doing the best in the marketplace and we're all going to suffer. The other challenge in all of this is none of this, with very few exceptions, is being taught in the management schools. Your MBA program does not teach you cross functional management, it teaches you functional management. And so, therefore, people who are in these positions don't have the knowledge, the experience, and therefore maybe the ability to do it. This is our biggest challenge. And this is why it's quite often upstarts will take out an incumbent. Absolutely true. Because the startups can see the gap that
1: others can't because their culture creates a blind spot. Yes. And I think it's interesting that you point out that a lot of MBA classes create executives that are obsolete. hmm and that's a really sad thing to say about the state of education, but it also reflects the speed at which the market is moving.
2: It's definitely the latter. I think the people in MBA schools, and a lot of the people we see in our clients' organizations are pretty smart people. Well, smart is intelligence. Absolutely. Yes. And and a lot of them have the ability to sort of take this message and go with it, but they don't have the traditional mechanisms of accounting, finance, HR, IT, all these bits of the solution and know how to put them together in a way which is best overall.
1: So what you're telling me is there's a lack of global business acumen, or let's say overarching business acumen for a lot of
2: organizations that needs to be installed in the executive. Part of the challenge with that is that executives are afraid to make some of these changes. And one of the things we see as being a big issue is that quite often transformation, as we talked about earlier, Transformation makes change happen, but it also creates unintended consequences. Always. Before we start, we don't know what the impact is of the change. We will would change something and then be surprised that it affects something else. So unintended consequences starts to sound like risk. And executives don't like risk, especially when they are given their motivation model by the board. And if they see themselves as being there for a very short period of time. It's too risky to make this kind of transformation in their minds.
1: So how can executives approach transforming their organization to become a change able? We talked about your new book about a business agility manifesto. How can an executive make the pivot to make their company open to change, available to change, and yet do so safely or as safely as is possible?
2: The challenge is, is a, a good friend of mine who works in the electric utility business once said, Roger, the problem we have is we're trying to rewire the house with the light still on.
1: <laughs> and it's dangerous. Go with your bare hands. <laughs> Standing in a bucket yes! of water.
2: <laughs> <laughs> While <laughs> it's raining. <laughs> <laughs> so this, all of these kind of challenges. So there are a lot of people say, oh, yeah, let, let's do this. But you can't just rip everything apart at once. You have to start with some aspects of it and see this as a journey. If I go back to my education, I was actually trained as an industrial engineer a long time ago now, of course. And one of the things I did at one point in time is I went to the UK and traveled all around the Industrial Revolution sites when all of this changed like 200, 250 years ago. One of the things I learned that I didn't know was that it took more than 100, 150 years for the Industrial Revolution to stick. those changes to happen we all think it happened overnight because we weren't there we're in just as big a change today to move to the knowledge age as opposed to the industrial age and we're still pretty much at the beginning of, of that type of journey we just have to keep our business going but start to take one aspect of it and work it maybe it's organizational structure or maybe that's the last thing you do There's lots of organizations now that don't have any managerial structure per se. They have management, but they don't have managers. It's a different way of managing. Maybe that's where you start. Maybe you start with your software. You bring software to market faster. And maybe you really start to manage end-to-end processes and start to put different performance indicators in place, which are customer performance measures versus internal measures. Trying to do all of it at once is a little bit risky. That's why an incumbent gets challenged by an upstart. An upstart can do this because they don't have any baggage to bring with them. Be selective, but have a plan.
1: We'll be back with more after this. The world is moving fast. It's difficult to keep up. Your executive team needs new ideas to keep them ahead of the competition. Download and share the internal consulting group's monthly executive magazine, The Insights Review. Every issue includes thought leadership, and ideas that you can leverage to solve issues and harvest opportunities facing you. Get your complimentary copy from internalconsulting.com slash publications. I want to do a little pivot here. Right now, unemployment is low. The economy is going great. The best people already have jobs. Companies are working very hard to keep their very best people because they know that's a competitive advantage. So how can an executive scale up when it's hard to get good people?
2: Well, I think you have to scale up by using technology. A lot of us talk about robots and artificial intelligence. I think we have to rethink where we use our people to biggest advantage. Hard to scale if everything's based upon talking to a human being all the time. And so maybe we save our human beings for the exceptions or the difficult situations. With the continuing drive towards self-service, we can probably get more scaling going. And if we can have robots handle the simple, repetitive stuff that we can't handle very well internally because we built crazy systems that don't talk to each other, but a robot can connect them up. I think those are the kind of things I would be starting with so that we can take away the easy, the straight through and start to design things so that we don't have to have a customer talking to our call center because something that was supposed to happen that the customer understands didn't work because with the way we've been designing our our technologies internally. So I think we've got to look at it from a customer point of view and say, where are the pain points? Where are the aggravations? And how much of this requires good human knowledge? And how much of this is just transactional?
1: I think that's an important component to consider. Transactions, we can offload to business rules. And AI is just a way of figuring out new business rules. I want people to really consider AI is not artificial intelligence. It's actually A really great way of figuring out business rules we haven't yet detected. It's a really important part of business process management. And then also using robots to do repetitive tasks that don't require a human to get the job done. And freeing up our human resources to invent new things. To handle those exceptions that are going to be thrown at us. To provide that human connection that can become a brand experience. And I think it's important for executives to not be afraid of this technology, but pursue projects to bring
2: this into their organization. I agree. And and we've seen lots of examples in our work where, for example, if a customer wants to apply for a mortgage, they're going to go to the branch office four times. They're going to fill out redundant paperwork. They're going to do um, anti-money laundering, know your customer types of activities over and over and over again, even though they just did it for somebody else. This redundancy, as opposed to having a shared Knowledge that can be leveraged we can number one do it cheaper, we can do it better, the customer is happier customer doesn't want to come in eight times when they're working all day long
1: we're to describe that as friction yes. and so what we must do is everything we possibly can in our business processes to reduce or eliminate friction right In fact, if you think about it, the companies you talked about earlier, Airbnb and Uber essentially provide a frictionless customer experience mm-hmm. in one case in finding a place to stay in another place in getting some transportation. And I think that concept of frictionless allows us to change our processes to be scalable, to be
2: sustainable. Absolutely true. My daughter travels quite a bit and has a dog. Now she uses something called Rover. She travels around, and she goes onto Rover, finds someone to look after the dog for the afternoon. And it's just so easy to do. Easy is another word. Is it easy for me? And, and that model is coming up over and over and over again. Just make it easy. I want to point out that this concept of Rover. Is an extension
1: of customers' experiences that they now expect. And what used to be a want now is a need. And while we used to leave the dog at home, now we want to bring the dog with us, now we need to bring the dog with us, which brings new services to bear.
2: I think you're absolutely right. What used to be something which was a nice to have is no longer a nice to have. Internet in a hotel room used to be wow, I'm going to go there. They've got internet in the hotel room. And now it's like if you don't have internet in the hotel room, you're not going to have any customers. Right on.
1: So, In fact, rip the TV out, couldn't care less, give me high-speed internet. Yes. I haven't turned the TV on in a hotel room in a decade.
2: Right. (laughs) I'll stream something instead. Exactly.
1: And so we have changing customer needs. How would you suggest an executive start with improving their capacity to be agile?
2: One of the things that we do is we like to do a little bit of an assessment to say, where are your pain points, first of all? Because if you can solve a pain point, then you can prove that what you're trying to do has value. There are a lot of people out there who come along and say, well, change all this and change all that. But there's no real performance improvement that's been made. To get executives to go with this approach, you have to do something, as I say, rewire your house with the lights still on. You have to do something which has measurable value both to the market and the customer as well as to the company. I'm a great believer in customer centricity. But I also know that if you lose money while you're doing it, you're not going to be doing it for long. If you do it and you violate all the regulatory requirements, you're also going to be in big trouble. So you have to balance some of this stuff out and show that you solved the problem.
1: There is no reason to liquidate your company at the benefit of a customer. It doesn't work for anybody.
2: Not for long. Not for long at all. This is a journey. And you may not see all the benefits at once. And it might be an evolution. But there will be step changes along the way. There are going to be some decisions, for example, if you are going to change your organizational reporting relationships fundamentally, then you can't just do that. In other words, I'll change this unit today and the other unit tomorrow. You might have to do all of that at once. So basically, being ready for those big change points, but don't have them all happening on the same day. That's the critical issue. I truly do understand that boards of directors and shareholders expect returns on their investment. So taking too much risk can be an issue. But what I really wanted to think about is what is the risk of not doing this? That's the biggest risk. Because if we're not relevant in the marketplace, and we don't continue to be relevant in a changing marketplace, then it's just a matter of time. Indeed. Well,
1: half the Fortune 500 falls off the list every decade. Yeah. And so even big companies are not immune to being run over by change. Mm -hmm. And so an executive has to make this transition if they're going to create a viable, sustainable, scalable organization. And my suggestion is don't go this alone. If you have massive amounts of changes that you must implement in your organization, bring in people that have done it before, such as have a conversation with Roger Burlton, who has written multiple books on helping people manage change. So what's the best way for somebody to perhaps engage with you or to start the journey in this transformation to be change-able?
2: One of the first things, as I mentioned before, that we typically do is do some kind of assessment. And we have various diagnostic tools that can happen again through uh, either through Process Renewal Group or ICG, where people can assess themselves online and see how they're doing. But then I think to engage in a small assessment to basically say, where are you and what is a good approach for your organization that works best for you? That's sort of the the typical initial engagement we would want to conduct, as opposed to thinking we've got it all figured out. We have to make sure we really understand the cause of all your issues and, and the real opportunities. And that's going to vary by market. It's going to vary by your position in the market. And maybe you've got a lot of good stuff happening already. Finding the right approach based upon your situation, your goals, and your markets. And some markets are much more dynamic than others. So standard consultant's answer is, well, it depends.
1: Of course, because if there was a direct answer, you wouldn't need a consultant.
2: The other thing to recognize is that in our case, yes, there's books, there's articles, there's YouTube videos. There's lots of things. Just look us up. You can find that. But all that stuff is based upon us having done this a lot. You have a lot of experience. Based on experience, and we're not going to tell anyone what is academically the most popular thing to say. If it doesn't make sense, we'll tell you it doesn't make sense. There are a lot of things that people believe are great approaches because they did read about it. But if it's impractical for you, we'll tell you it's impractical for you. and find a different way.
1: This is not a simple problem and therefore will not have a simple answer. And if you choose to diagnose yourself by watching YouTube videos, as Mark Twain said, you may die from a typographical error. And when it comes to complex situations around organizational design, business process management, this is complex. It requires a physician level to come in and do an accurate diagnosis before making some prescription. agreed. That's the challenge with executives reading a book, getting a great idea, and applying the wrong cure to the problem.
2: It's also true that physicians typically will not diagnose themselves. For a really good reason. Because they have confirmation bias. <laughs> and, I, and I guess that we, we all go to WebMD or something, but there's no substitute for seeing a real doctor.
1: That's right, especially for a complex problem. and. Business transformation is not simple. And business transformation into change agile organization is not for the weak at heart. It's not simple, but it is inevitable. If you don't do it, somebody else will. (laughs) Roger, how do people get a hold of you to start a conversation? What would you like for them to do?
2: The easiest thing is by email, since I'm around the world in a lot of different countries. Roger, R-O-G-E-R dot Burleton, B-U-R-L-T-O-N at processrenewal, as it sounds, .com, or they can come through uh, their local ICG partner. ICG will find me. What a terrific conversation.
1: Lots of food for thought for executives. Thanks for contributing your thought leadership to this world.
2: Thank you so much. It's a great opportunity. I enjoyed our conversation. That wraps up
1: this episode. Go to internalconsulting.com slash global hyphen thought hyphen leaders to contact today's guest. If you like the show, share it with your executive team and review us on iTunes. This is Global Thought Leader Insights. Brilliant thinking implemented. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.